Welcome to the Pints and Popcorn podcast for another week. Uh, we have Wolf Creek, the 2005 Australian horror film coming up for you. Uh, if you haven't seen it, as per usual, it's just a warning at the front end of the pod that you should go and see it if you haven't seen it, so you don't have it spoiled for you by listening to this podcast. If you aren't worried about spoilers or you have seen the film, then let's go right ahead and get into it. All right, what are we going to do a podcast about t- today, Shay? I tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> So far, no sign of intelligent life forms. Wow. That's awesome. Looks like we might be spending the night. What the hell? Just stay in the car! What the bloody hell are you mob doing out here? <laughs> Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so, um, where did you move? <laughs> oh, I get around, you know. Never know where I might pop up. <laughs> what do you actually do? Well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Pints and Popcorn podcast back with you for another week. Uh, Shay on the line, as per usual, my partner in crime. Um, not any serious crime as we're about to talk about, but just, just, <laughs> the, crime, just the crime of um, invading your ears with this podcast. Really, that's about it. Um, crime. Yeah. Shay might, re- Shay might think it's a crime with the, the, the curveball I threw at him this week when I <laughs> threw my suggestion for the film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think this is probably the first one that I won't be rewatching anytime soon or ever. But uh, <laughs> it's a hard one. It did capture my attention a bit as much as I, I like. It was good for a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, we're talking <laughs> about uh, 2005 uh, Greg, Greg McLean's Wolf Creek, his uh, directorial debut, which is a, in that sense, is quite an achievement because um, it's. It's quite well made for a low-budget Australian indie film, basically. Um, it is a horror film. It is a hard horror film to watch. Um, my rewatch last night, my, I think I was trying to think about how many times I've watched it myself as someone who watched it as soon as it got released in 2005. I've probably only seen it six or seven times now, and that's, you know, 15 years, we're 15 years mm. into the film's history. Um, which is a testament to how hard it is for me as someone who enjoys horror films and, you know, slashes. Although this isn't exactly a slasher. It's its own kind of horror film. It's a hard There's one. a knife in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard one to re-watch. Um, and I'll get into my reasons for it, which is um, I grew up with stories about the exact stories that this film inspired is what I grew up with. Um, but it is hard to watch because it is not, 
it's not a you know it's not Scream, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street, it's not even Friday the Thirteenth, which is just a bunch. It's people that actually seem like the kind of people you'd meet in travels or know from where you're from, have real lives, have real hopes and dreams, and that always makes it harder to watch when they end up dying. Including the psychopath, like that is like a guy that you would run into in small town Midwest or yeah. or in the Wop Wop. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a lot of them out in the Wop Wop. Um, I've run into plenty of them. I haven't gone, I haven't been to, you asked off air if I'd been to Wolf Creek because it is an actual location um, in Australia. Um, the, the Wolf Creek shown in the movie is the Wolf Creek that exists here in Australia, but um, the crater. Uh, but the it's, um, I've been on little jaunts out, you know, six hours north of where I am now into just the, the Flinders Ranges, which get depicted in one of the um, TV series that have subsequently been made of the movie. Um, and been out to some towns that are uh, that do carry characters like this, and even close by here, the the country, the country living people around. Just once, as soon as you get out of Adelaide into rural areas, there are people like this, you know, on the spectrum of you know maybe a little bit more restrained because they do have to interact with people in the city and whatnot. But people like that that really live out bush that never go to the city that their entire lives are out there. There is a way that the country, the country molds them into these kind of people, not psychopathic killers, um, but they do mold them into these hard, gruff people that speak exactly like Mick's, uh, Mick Taylor, the protagonist from this movie is brilliantly played by John Jarrett. They do talk like that. There's, you know, John Jarrett grew up with people like that. That's why, he, and then he went, he went and lived bush for a few weeks and didn't shower for a few weeks in preparation for this role really got into it. Um, Greg McLean, the director, grew up in the outback as well. So he's, he just said it was just great. He grew up with people like this. So that's the... Re- it's very is much- he the protagonist or is he the antagonist? Sorry, an- <laughs> sorry, antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the film is kind of about him. I yeah, guess, so. it is. But yeah, he is certainly the antagonist in that He's sense. the baddie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say that I condone any of that. But yeah, it is... Um, there is... The, the, a lot of people, it's it's fascinating to watch a character like this because, uh, you know, this vision of Australia that a lot of people around the world have had, obviously, Crocodile Dundee is one of the big films released from Australia that's very much infused in the worldwide worldwide pop culture um, references, you know, whether the, that's not a knife, this knife, which actually gets referenced uh, you, really yeah, well you, in this yeah. movie as well, <laughs> yeah. um, but um, a great bit of foreshadowing and then coming back to it later on quite gruesomely but it's um it one of the things and i mean i'll ask you what what your view as watching i mean you've already mentioned you the, the character is the antagonist uh, mick taylor <laughs> reminded you and i was going to ask you that exact question is like do you like did you see this character in a lot of your life at mid you know you've grown up in the midwest as well um not exact but you know these kind of people that are very much part of their country and believe you know they because that they just live in one spot their entire life they're molded by it and almost become a caricature of the country that they're in but it's it's very real at the same time and i just wondered what your 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 immediate impressions watching this film both of both of my country as well as uh (laughs) um and you know and you know with the what it portrays as far as backpacker killings as well and whatnot it's just it's fascinating to me as someone who grew up with these stories to hear what people that from the outside who don't know about this kind of stuff as much the thoughts watching a film like this well it definitely doesn't make me want to like travel around rural australia <laughs> but 
But I don't want to travel rural anywhere, really, unless it's like a national park. Mm-hmm. But even like just from the get go, it just seemed like a bad idea for these people. I know, and and you go into it knowing it's a horror movie. But even so, like they pretty much paint the picture pretty quickly that the car that the young bloke is buying um, is not a good car. Mm-hmm. They are going to the middle of nowhere. There's no one around them. And yeah, it, I, just from the get go, it seemed like a bad idea. So, but hey, you guys are adventurous. You're, advent- you're an adventurous people. So <laughs> <laughs> why not? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I didn't really think of it like any that any different than American culture as far as that I think I looked at it like a, an American road trip movie mm-hmm. kind of in a way and it also kind of reminded me of E E2 Mama Tambien mm-hmm. uh, which is a road trip movie with two boys young boys and a older woman so it's not really th- that much the same but at least the start of it reminded me of like kind of a road trip movie where it kind of seemed like it was going to be a coming of age movie, especially with how they laid it out. So I didn't really think of it as an Australian movie because like, even when they go um, early on to that bar and those skanky bugs are uh, like sitting around and like, they want to fight the main character, or one of the main characters mm-hmm. just because they could, because that guy was gigantic and didn't have any teeth and probably didn't have anything to do that day. So um, I think that exists in small town U- United States as well, and probably everywhere. It's like these guys just sitting around with nothing to do but drink, and then you know the tourists come in and they can give them a hard time, and that's how they get their rocks off, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, it did it did remind me when I was watching that again last night of uh, I, I mean, you've heard the story before. I'm ninety nine percent sure, but uh, Lady Gaga, yeah, Lady Gaga, yeah. <laughs> Lady Gaga at a karaoke bar in um, rural Oregon didn't go down well. Um, for yeah, I I was ready to, I was getting ready to glass someone to protect myself with a guy, and he literally walked up with the line, "We don't like your that kind of that kind of thing here." Like with that, guy, I was just like, Jesus Christ! So yeah, it does exist. Um, once you, and it and it's very close to the world that we know. Like it doesn't take you long to get out there. It's just that they. It's like a metaphor for the fringes of society that these people exist on that. Um, holding... That's why they call it the fringes of yeah. society. Though, <laughs> because that's, what, that's yeah. what is lurking out there. Yeah, and these characters like Mick Taylor are, are that um, metaphor for that entire idea because his character in this movie is, and he doesn't like it gets, um, certainly once you get into the sequel and the TV series, he really they really expand on like kind of his thesis on his uh, warped thesis on life. But he does. He he has lines in this movie that um, do tell you that he doesn't like. You know, when he hears the um, the girl's accents, he says, "Oh, British, are you?" You know, and he kind of he, he doesn't completely show his show his hand in that sense. But he, you can kind of tell why would he? He kind of just says it in this judging way that he's just like, "Oh, okay, you guys are tourists." And he makes a joke like when they're asking him what he does. He used to be a shooter, and you know, he was out, you know, getting rid of the vermin. You know, kangaroos, uh, boars, you know, all those can- uh, horses yeah. and at one point. And then he says, you know, just all the vermin, kind of like tourists. And he does his little hair, yeah. uh, like laugh. But, you know, it's just, it's this real foreboding nature to how he says all this stuff, which is, again, just a brilliant performance from an actor who's uh, been in the Australian world of acting for, oh, God, 45 years now. Um, 
missed that first roll was 75, I think. So, um, I think I could ever see him as anything else now. <laughs> so that's a credit to it, I guess. Yeah, well, um, uh, just a side note, he... It was a shock to Australian audiences to see this role from him because he has had many he's roles. Pretty, yeah. He's um, he was on the variety show here in the mid nineties, like a gar- like Better Homes and Gardens, which is very it's still going now. Um, popular week weekly show about you know it's just you know house renovations and gardening, and he was one of the DIY guys, and it's just like you know <laughs> big smiling John Jarrett, and he's a, he's a very a very nice guy from all accounts. Um, he had it. He did have a accusation of sexual assault against him from a, from his young age, which got thrown out because there was no evidence for it. Which you know we we always say you know until, in a, you know we hope that it, that's true. Um, but the the girls from this movie actually came out in defense of him in that trial and said he was one of the sweetest guys on set. Which considering the role they were, the movie they were making, but um, that aside, it. it it's, it, the TV shows he was in at the time, he was in a TV show here that was syndicated around the world and quite popular. I was an extra on it once, by the way. Um, <laughs> McLeod's daughter. Ah, that's why we're doing this for the podcast. No. <laughs> it all comes out. <laughs> just, <laughs> but he was in McLeod's Daughters, which was filmed just literally 15 minutes away from here, which is why um, I happened to be in one of the episodes very briefly. Um, but he was a very, he was his character on that show again and very popular at the time with Creek came out was the nice neighbor farmer guy that just helped out with everything. And he's been in some horror, horror films in the eighties that Quentin Tarantino loved, which is why, and the Tarantino loved Wolf Creek as well, which is why, um, John Jarrett ended up in a small role as one of the liquid, liquid Dinny mining company, whatever (laughs) the fuck I'm completely liquid Dicky or something like that. Mining company, Django Unchained. The, the actual good Aussie accent in that movie is John Jarrett, but, Uh, um, yeah. For Australian audiences, like when this movie came out, I remember my mum just saw the trailer for this movie, let alone the even seeing the entire movie, and she goes, "Oh my god, I, I don't, I that guy just doesn't look like the guy I know, and it's going to change how I see him forever." And and I think it did for a lot of audience. Like every John Jarrett is so famous for Mick Taylor now, whether and he was actually famous before that. So for him to have this renaissance, and it and it did provide a renaissance for his career again. Um, in playing this role but it, it is just it's one of those acting performances that and one of the reasons I picked the film like beyond talking about some of the other things about the metaphors for how the society at the time at now that we're living in with um, xenophobia and whatnot just his performance is one of the ones that I think people that Ken's it's not going to be a movie everyone can stomach and I'm not going to say you should just go out and watch it regardless because there is some gruesome scenes of murder and um, and torture in this film uh, but if you can stomach that kind of stuff, this and you do enjoy watching good acting, great acting performances, he he embodies this role so so well that you stop seeing him as John Jarrett, the actor, and you see Mick Taylor as a real person, which is scary. Yeah, it was very scary, and that's the key to a film like this. And I like I find these movies way more frightening than you know your Freddy or Jason or yeah, yeah. whatever whatever you want like when it's like just a real person who's like lost his mind basically um i find those way more scary and uh we were talking off air just kind of how they they turn the trope around like going into it you think because in a horror movie you always expect somebody to survive Mm. and obviously in this you expect you think the guy is going to be the first one that dies i mean obviously and you don't even know he's alive for a lot of the film so, I don't, 
a frustration I had with it is when she goes back to the camp and instead of like trying to find him, she like falls down a well into like a a mass grave and then looks at the camera mm. and then yeah, and then gets herself killed because she's dicking her out. Like it's just very frustrating. That's my biggest problem with horror movies, like we were talking about. It's yeah. just like but your mind would be warped and she probably hadn't slept for like however long and she's starving and all that stuff, so yeah, well, she but it's like a drug-induced sleep that that wouldn't have been a nice sleep, so or maybe the best sleep ever. Yeah, <laughs> but you wake up terrified. But like, she went through one camera, like at the time, and it's like, why you don't have to go through another? You mm. and you don't even have to go through any of the cameras. You already like lost in all this stuff. Like, yeah, that's just where that was a um. It's one of those storytelling moments, and I, 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 I definitely agree with you on this because I watched it last night, and it probably was it stuck out to me more. Like, because I, I hadn't actually rewatched this in probably four or five years. I watched it a few times, like I said, I'd probably watched it six or seven times total, but hadn't watched it for a while until last night because I watched the sequel in a few years ago, and then I've been watching through the TV series, but I just hadn't revisited the original film for a while, and it did stick out to me more last night that it, it was certainly a storytelling moment, like. It was a lot yeah. Of, a lot of movies have these moments where they just do a brief, and it's better than just doing a straight out ex- exposition dump via dialogue. I don't mind Tri- it, but it also it it was it was contradictory to what she what her mission was, which she just told the girl. I think she says like, "If I'm not back in five minutes, just run." So why, if you know that your your friend is outside waiting for you to be back. In a timely manner, you probably shouldn't be dicking around and video the video cameras. But it was, yeah. it was, man, it that when you're watching that little bit of video footage from the other family, that um, yeah, that Super is that up. is that is haunting. Um, and the yeah. the TV series makes no qualms about killing kids in so which yeah. uh, shows the horror of his character. Um, so and you know that family had kids in it, and that kid likely died as well as the um the adults. And I love that that little bit of video when they they're videoing like being towed by the mixed truck. Um, he uh the guys just like oh that's just what people are like out here, and you know they're just the country blokes. They just they just like that. They like to help people, and I'm that is such a trope of Australia. Yeah. That is such a <laughs> Australian trope of that. As, as you know patriotic right-wing dickhead australians are proud of being this uber nice people that it that don't exist anywhere in the world it's the australianism it's the it's this idea this false ideology that australians have this innate nature of being good because they're australian and that makes us better than the rest of the world it's and it's it's a patriotic trope that every country has um in that in that side of them um and i love that this movie straight up makes a mockery of it but Mick thinks he's doing a job because he believes Australia is his his country, not anyone else's. Um, and that's, that's one of the themes in this movie that sticks out to me more as I watch it. Um, and I listened to an interview with Greg McLean recently, and he said that was a part of it. it. was like, you know, there's this dark side of Australia that Australians don't reckon with because we have this idea of ourselves that doesn't work with this dark side that is the reality of what Australia was born out of violence. It was born out of a foreign invasion. You know, it's it's a very Australia's history is one of the most violent histories in the world. It's just no one wants to talk about it here because no one wants to accept it. And people like Mick Taylor, who have obviously descendant of immigrants that have been here for only a couple of hundred years, 
believe they have a right to the country and believe it's theirs and believe Australian this Australian idea this is like some higher power thing but you know it's it's false because the country was you know it's it, it was someone else's before us and the themes of that all wrapped up in this movie may not be apparent just um on the surface of a first watch but I find it more powerful on rewatches of how this character just embodies so many of the people in this country that have that belief and and the dialogue works with it too it's like it was really well well written dialogue and a well written character to have that underlying it's not throwing shoving it down your throat it's just it's just there it's there to find and i love movies like that to be able to rewatch and find that in them yeah and it's not just the the people from other countries, England or whatever. He's also mad at the main guy who's from Sydney, which is just a big city. And you see mm-hmm. that, I, you can see that mirrored here in America where the small towns don't like, you know, the coastal, what they call the coastal elites and stuff like yeah. that. It's like, why, like you just don't like them because they vote differently than you and like, like have friends who are different races or whatever. Like, why don't you, you just automatically don't like them because they live in big cities. It doesn't, really makes sense yeah, so yeah, it's because yeah. it, it all it like comes down to like insecurity because they think that those people in big cities are looking down on them when they really aren't they're not even thinking about them at all mm. they're just like why why wouldn't you <laughs> why wouldn't you live in a big city but uh so it's just this like uh i can't think of what it's what it's called off the top of my head like it oh, i'm close to it <laughs> Like just an insecurity complex, like xenophobia. Just, is that what you? Is that kind of? No, I'm just going like when, like within your own country, there's like it's not xenophobia, but it kind of is because like people in the Midwest and the South and people who don't like who aren't ingratiated with a lot of different races of people in different communities and stuff like that, they think that I don't know. I lost my point. Well, they're just, kind of xenophobic in a way because they think they're more American than than uh, the people who live on the coast because they're they're the real Americans. They're the ones out, you know, tilling the field, and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they raise their flag every morning, you know, outside of their trailer and all that stuff. And it's like, well, the, yeah, you're an American, but we're all Americans. So, like, the only thing, like, the difference between you and coastal elites is that you're mad at them because... I think in some capacity you're envious and I, I don't want to speak for Mick in this because I think, I think it's pretty clear that he was a, a veteran of Vietnam, even while watching the first film mm. and that that fucked him up pretty good. And yeah. maybe that's why he's xenophobic, but oh, um, there's, some back- you- there's some even further backstory to his childhood in the movies and, you know, um, the movies and sorry, the TV show goes into his childhood a bit as well. And there's a couple of prequel books that are apparently pretty good that I need to read. That uh, one of the first books from is like is his childhood in towards about 1920, and then the second books is Vietnam years and whatnot. Um, so he, certainly the childhood was a part of it. Um, abusive father, his sister dies, <laughs> kind of kills her accidentally, but um, it's. Um, he has this, yeah. He has a fucked up past that, and and Vietnam certainly would be a part of that because, you know, that that war was so much about uh, it was ideologies and race and and all that wrapped up into it. And then, yeah, just his his ideas about anyone that's and and you you said it straight up that you know the Midwest Americans the coastal elite stuff. 
it just it's it's amazing how much it mirrors Australia as well in that sense. The people that um, you know, you mentioned what he said about the big city. He called like Sydney the poofter capital of the country. You know, like yeah, um, <laughs> his words. I'm just just um, quoting, but. Uh, and they do the same thing in like England, you know. I yeah. think I remember when Liverpool lost this year. You said gold trophies are for the Tories down in England or something. I definitely tweeted that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it happens everywhere, and um, yeah, it's just kind of like a never-ending cycle because like people on the coast are obviously going to look down at people who think who don't like them just because they're on like just because they live in big cities, mm. but then the people who are looking down, it's just a vicious cycle and it's just never, it's something that'll never be, um, it's something something unfortunately innate and amass a lot of people in humanity. Like I like to think that I try to, I consciously make an effort to be better than it, but you do fall into it sometimes. It's just, it's just, unfortunately human nature is you try to put yourself in a box and it's very high. You have to work hard to not do it. Um, you know, I grew, I grew up in the country in South Australia, and I certainly had completely different ideas as a kid and teenager than I do now because I was influenced by the country life around me, and that was a very much a conservative mindset more than anything. Um, and it was very fearful of, um, you know, it still goes on now, you know, foreign investment. And, you know, that's an issue as far as, you know, not just, but foreign investment in Australia is very much looked down upon, but then no one stops it because you know it's unfortunately that's just the system we live in but and then just foreign students in australia you know like just and immigration to australia from outside and people are like oh we're gonna lose lose our culture lose what we have lose and i'm like we definitely do that yeah and it's like i mean (laughs) and then you and then you have the um indigenous um australians saying well you didn't seem to mind when you did to us so and we have to so maybe you should just you know it's and I, I, you yeah, hear it all the it time. Is it, here. Yeah, it happens here. Yeah, you hear it. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's a, it's a tale as old as time, unfortunately. And uh, and people that say these, I, and you say that you say these things to them and say, well, what about the one? What about when you did it to them? It's like, oh no, that was different. It's like how? Just tell me how. And that's like, well, here they say like it's a manifest destiny and oh, yeah, white yeah. man burden and all that um, bullshit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, here they just here they just flat out say that um, um, we brought culture to them, which is just uh, such a such a horrible, horrible. It's yeah, very. Yeah, I mean they said that they said that here too. Like I said, it's a dark history. It's a dark history that Australia doesn't want to reckon with, and and there's movie um, a lot of that violence of Australia's history is just manifested into this guy because he is the kind of guy that would have existed in the 1800s as well that was hunting down hunting down the indigenous australians which happened just with immense regularity it was a it was a it was a genocidal campaign that happened in australia in our early history right up until well 1965 i think is yeah. when the white australia policy because was nick like, nick could have been talking about that yeah i don't, I don't know yeah do you think that the setting of it on a like abandoned oil? I, b- I believe it's an oil, maybe not oil. It could have been. Ga- it could have been gas. It could have been gas. Could have been. Yeah, there's a lot of different mining operations happening. Were there like foreign? Were there foreign companies that came in and started drilling there? And like maybe that's why the, the setting is perfect for Mick because he's like hanging on to his old roots when Australia was in control of the mines, or or I don't even know if it was a mine really, but it was. It was. It was a. It was a small site for a mine i mean he mentions in the movie that they just they 
pick up and leave and abandon these places on regularity. Um, I don't know if it... I didn't read too much into it, to be honest, as far as that goes. I think it's just him finding a, a place that's his, really, um, that he can... that he is completely unburdened by any form of authority because that country, this country is so hard to police in the, in particularly in those areas, you know, if you, yeah. if you just stay off the map in a place like that, you're going to be, you can do whatever you want, which is what he does. Um, you know, it's the mine, the name, the mi- name of the mine is a, uh, I think it's Ivan Milat backwards. There's an H in there, but it's basically <laughs> like, um, which is the, um, one of the famous backpacker murder, Stories that inspired this movie was the story of Ivan Milat, who was a um, serial killer that was caught in ni- the early 90s, but um, murdered a lot of backpackers. was given seven life sentences for the seven they convicted him for, but they reckon there's been a few stories that there was probably a lot more that weren't found because these guys were found in the forest, just spread around this forest in New South Wales. Um yeah, buried, not buried very well, but they just, some of them took a few years to find and were found by like runners and campers in remote areas of this forest. So you think about the possibility that there's so many more that weren't found. But yeah, the mine name, just that was a tangent. We, we can get into the inspiration for the story more later. But yeah, the mine name was Ivan Malat backwards. And there's an H thrown in there, which I don't know why, but it, it's the rest of the name is just exactly Ivan Malat backwards, which is interesting. Good nod. Yeah, good nod to the uh, very, very obvious inspirations to this movie. Um, yeah, I found the story interesting, and you've touched on it already about the um, the tra- the thoughts about how you thought the movie would run. I think part of the scary nature of this movie, and you've mentioned it a little bit already, is that there was there was some. I've seen the character building of this movie criticized, but then I, I'm. It's hard to build characters in horror movies because you just they're cannon fodder, but. I like that they just I think t- they touch, have been a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, but they they touch on there's little bits and sometimes maybe people just don't watch movies close enough. But there's like at the start of the movie, they're they're right. They're looking at photos they've taken on their trip. They write they they there's a quick quick brief nod to one of them writing a postcard to their mum back in England, posting things. Um, they talk about when where they're getting to Cairns. You know, there's a little touch of romance with um the character of Ben and the character of Liz. I think it was um. They're, uh, they've got a little thing going on and they're talking about her maybe a problem relationship he has back in Sydney and, and you know, they're talking about getting to Cairns and finding a, girl, a guy for the other girl and let's just, you know, and you guys get together and let's just, they're talking about futures, which is, and it, and because the characters so, seem so real, the situation seems so real, it's not like a Freddy Krueger, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street overacting thing. It's very restrained and real in the cinema, like the way it's shot. It feels like you're just a part of this world. Um I think that's part of what makes the whole ensuing tragedy so much more scary beyond the realness of the violence, which I'll get to that a little bit after because I think that was done. <laughs> I still cringe at a few moments in this movie and it makes a, it's hard to make me cringe, but the, it's got to be done well. But I think that... There's uh, a few... Yeah, the movie movie does start with about 40, you know, 40 minutes of them getting to their destination before it gets into a all the stuff and a lot of it's just driving and them just in that inane conversations and stuff like that. But it's, it's done in the right way that does make you care about it and it does make you feel that these characters are more that they have a history. Um, and then they've got a future as well. You know, movies, sometimes the, the real, you know, cheap horror movies, which there's a place for them. They're good. In, they're good popcorn entertainment. They make, they make you just feel like these characters just popped up to exist in this moment and then don't exist after this. And this movie does a good job of kind of just showing that there's a, 
there's history to these people and um you know a deep friendship with the girls and and that's just you know it's it's not a big part it's just it's it's just one of those things that makes movies like this more that little bit more powerful is that you feel a a connection to them i guess and and a care for them and and that makes deaths so much profoundly more powerful than than your uh, just your 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 mindless teenagers in the eighties slasher films. Again, there's a place for them. I love them, but those deaths don't matter when when you know you could have ten people yeah. die, ten people die and you don't notice. You know, you've only got a couple of deaths in this film, but they they really are quite sad, as well as terrifying. Yeah, as, I, as well as terrifying. I think the first kiss scene was done really well. I thought that captured it. Uh, like just kind of like the intro stages of like really being into some into a person and kind of nervous around them. I thought that was, that scene was done really well. Um, I do think they could have done a little bit more with um, bringing the characters out a little bit, like rather than showing that party and just that, like the party, I think some of that time could have been spent on like how these people knew each other, I guess mm-hmm. if the, if the English birds were just like, there visiting and they met this guy or like they were they i something like that would have helped because like i I remember being curious but also i didn't realize that they were english until he says it so (laughs) i know (laughs) i know in australia that everybody probably knew because of the accents but i couldn't i couldn't tell at first and i mean i texted you and they do say a lot of british slang and a lot of british they just have like a British way about what they're talking about. Cause mm. I remember thinking like, Oh wow. Australia and Britain have a lot of the same, you know, mannerisms and stuff. It's like, Oh, they're supposed to be British. That makes sense. Mm. I just didn't notice the difference in the accents at first. Yeah. So that's why I was like, Oh, it's not weird that they're all going to the middle of nowhere together. But it's like, if the, if these girls are just on vacation and what, they just met this guy and they're going to the middle of nowhere. I don't know. That's still a setting for a horror movie, but uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this, I think this film's set in 1999, and back look backpacking in Australia and hitchhiking. I think tourism campaigns used to promote it, like until all this stuff. Obviously, um, you know, the 90s was the 90s into t- the early 2000s, where there was another high-profile case we'll get into that was very much um, uh, is intertwined with the Wolf Creek forever um, due to the timing of it and the inspiration, as well as when the case was happening. Um, yeah, hitchhiking and backpacking. You know, Australia being such a country with vast emptiness uh, for people from different countries. You know, travel was starting to get more, more and more popular in in the eighties and through to the nineties, and now it's obviously literally can't move now. But um, travel has become quite cheap up until the recent pandemic, and your ability to move anywhere in the world if you want to for a relatively low budget was there. And yeah, Australian tourism was very much built around you know get these people over here, and you can you can move around this country you know as easy as you want. You know, grab a ride with an Australian, you know, hitchhiking because Australians are nice, affable blokes, really want to help you out. We're good. We're good lads. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee will help you out. Yeah. That kind of stuff that's, you know, Crocodile Dundee Steve in the Irwin. 80s. Yeah, Steve Irwin, which again, Greg McLean used Steve Irwin and Crocodile Dundee as two of the inspirations to this guy and just threw the evilness into the mix. Um, all these guys are just larger than life characters that Australian australian tourism played on and and so you know the couple of young english birds coming over and look <laughs> we've i you know in my younger days when i used to go out you know pubbing and clubbing in adelaide you'd run into tourists all the time you just start chatting and chatting at a pub and you know i've had friends that just you know they meet tourists and they you end up and then living in the barossa here we get people that come here every year for 
working in the wine industry uh, for a vintage, and you know, me and Andrea have made friends that that live that live over in the US now and all that. That that we just meet, you know, meet for a few months, and you hang out, and you go to pubs, and it's probably not a not a big stretch that if they're going on a road trip, and you'd be like, oh yeah, let's go on a road trip together. So that's I think that's probably where that that's just that situation in a nutshell for how he would have met them. You know, Western Australia's got some mining areas where there's different. Um, people that you know, Sam's misses is from that he's met was up <laughs> in the mining areas as well. So, um, nice. yeah, it's it's not a stretch for because you know it is part of living living here and you know, it's not isolated to here. But you know, people we do just meet people from all over the world here because it's a bit of a melting pot. And uh, to to buy, yes, if they were like yeah backpacking for the summer, they could have known each other for like a month or something. Yeah, it just yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's built there that they were there for a little bit because there's a there's a cake for them and they're going away. It's kind of a little going away party. There's a cake with a, okay. map, a drawing of Australia on it with a little car in the middle. So everyone yeah. everyone at this party had at least known them for a little while enough to uh, enough to build a a love like you know a friendly love for them. Um, Maybe it was like a program too. It could have been like a school thing. I don't know. It could have yeah. Know? It could have like, just been any like a working. You, there's working holiday programs for Australians going to the uh, England to work in pubs and stay that stay like they pay pay you a you know a lowly wage but enough and give you a, a accommodation for three months and you just work in a pub yeah, just and going abroad yeah so there's stuff like that here for people and you know that people do just come fly over here and particularly coming from England it's being part of the Commonwealth group of nations it's pretty easy to nab yourself a working visa and especially back in the 90s because um, i think this movie was set in 99 so um, yeah to be out of yeah, i didn't know that either i was but 99 is not that different than 2005 i remember both of them <laughs> <laughs> the fashion was pretty much the same yeah um so that yeah. would make sense that they didn't have cell phones though that was another thing i was like you guys don't have phones yeah even there's some any the middle of australia for uh, phone coverage in now is isn't very good. So yeah. in two thousand five and let alone ninety nine, yeah ninety nine was yeah having a was, having a mobile phone. It was like before texting too. I'm like yeah yeah. yeah I remember my dad had a Nokia fifty one ten. So yeah, definitely no trains out in the out where they were either. <laughs> There's train like trains through the middle of Australia, but very sparse. Um, It'd be a scary train if it went to the Wop Wop. <laughs> I want to like go like into the heart of the middle of Australia in like the Batman Batmobile, like from the newest trilogy. <laughs> so, so the like skanky bogues can't get me, but like go through and document what's really going on there. Cause there was like this other Australian movie that I watched when I was growing up because like it said brief nudity in the title. And uh, <laughs> when I was in middle school or like early high school, whatever. And like, it takes place in the middle of the Wop Wop. What movie is that? And it is, it is gnarly. Let me look it up. I love that. Much. I love that you remember. Brief nudity was on in the title, but uh, <laughs> the title of the movie yeah. escapes you. It has something to do with red kangaroo. Red kangaroo. Yeah, I'd have to. Yeah, give me the name when you get it. But um, yeah, the middle of Australia is such an open expanse, and without mobile phones, it's um. I was talking. We were talking about it earlier. I, th- I can't remember if it was off air on or when we started, but moving. One of the things we're taught as kids about traveling in Australia is, I don't remember when I learned this, but I just remember it being something ingrained into me is you you make sure your vehicle's reliable. Um, yeah. Which they, you know, this is, it's antithesis to the, because the backpacker, you know, 
popularity of backpacking is to try and do it on the budget. So buying a cheap car and trying to do that. And that was something, that, again, that was advertised as, you know, things that you can do at the time. So, Yep, it, found it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Welcome to Wop Wop. <laughs> so, yeah. How have I never heard of this movie? Um, it's from 1997. It's a comedy film. Okay. I'm going to have to look this By up. By Stephen Elliott. No, no bells are ringing for me. Okay. I'll look it but up. But it's Australian. I'll look it up later to see see what this this vision of Australia was that you saw as a kid. I'll let you it right now. Ted is a New York bird smuggler who oh, goes to Australia. Who <laughs> goes to Australia to replace a flock of escaped birds after a deal goes awry. He ends up having like he like kind of like you're talking about. He meets like a, a native there mm-hmm. not not like not an aboriginal but like a native of australia yeah and bet and beds her and you know she thinks she's in love i think and she takes him to the wop wop and to this like insular town that's kind of like the wild west but like australianized and mm-hmm. dumber <laughs> like, <laughs> i remember it not being very good yeah but uh, but it had brief nudity yeah and i don't even remember that i think it's right away too I, I don't want to watch it now. <laughs> Real Big Fish has a song on uh, yeah, the soundtrack's on bad now I'm looking at it. Might watch that tonight. It has a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that's not the worst Rotten Tomatoes score I've ever seen. So that's my introduction to like that and Foster's commercials were my introduction to Australia. Yeah, I was talking to a cricket teammate about Foster's last night. He says it tastes better in New Zealand. I'm fascinated by this idea. It tastes like shit over here. I know. Yeah. That, so. <laughs> I was t- I was saying I was like Foster's. I was saying I had to explain to everyone in America that we don't drink Foster's in Australia. It's just like it's not even readily available easily at every pub or anything like other beers are here. But in Australia, it isn't here either, though. Yeah. I don't even know who I it's for. I just remember the ads, like the ads when I was living there for college, is like the Australian for beer, and they'd have like another example, like the like a guy in the middle of a fucking salt pant salt lake in the middle of australia slaps a band-aid on his head and then runs back into the football field and it's like australian for helmet and it's <laughs> yeah he also there's like one where like throws like throws his empty fosters can at the like shitty tv that's like in the corner of the bar and it's like a like it looks like a scene from the this welcome to wop wop movie or like where mick was living <laughs> or whatever <laughs> like that bar that they go to but he throws his beer at it and it's like Remote control. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you well. guys are being painted like morons. I that was I, that's what I was like watching this. I was like, and this again, it shows kind of the ideal of Australia that people have, and even some Australians have of us as a people. And then um, you have this dark side that uh, Mick Taylor perfectly embodies that is struggling to deal with um, the Australia that we think we have and the Australia that we really have. Um, it's a battle of it's a battle that there's just two things that can't ever coexist, and the people that you can either you can either take a positive view and think about the ways that you can improve it, or you, or if you're on the other side of it and you're you're more in that conservative mindset that believes in this i you know manifest destiny idea of Australia, um, then you then you find other more sinister ways to deal with your uh, feelings about the out- outsiders and and your own warped ideology that you have a right to this land um, and have a right to be a, a reckoner for this land as well. Because that's what he does. He doesn't just have his 
beliefs, he has his mantra and his ways of dealing with it, which is through lit- literal hunting. He's a exp- and that's what is uh, quite fascinating about his character build as well is that he is obviously an incredible hunter, an incredible shootist, which pro- comes from his time in Vietnam, and then obviously as an experienced hunter, it's um, part of the scariness of his character is you know there's a lot of movie slasher antagonists that have their way of killing and they stick to that but he just fucking uses whatever you know if he's got to use his rifle he uses his rifle and is deadly accurate with it if he's got to use his fucking double barrel shotgun he'll use that use his handgun and he'll use his use his bowie knife which is quite a signature thing for him but and you know i know i'm not expecting you to go forward into the sequels or the tv series but um he he uses all of these things very well and very inventively he can throw it he can he can, <laughs> he's, yeah. Well, when he's spying, like, when he severs uh, Liz's spine, I mean, that's pretty horrifying. Makes your head on a stick. So you can do yeah. his talk. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. That's, Good God. That's, I was going to get to that, and we can talk about that now before we go to a quick break, is the violence in this movie, it does make me, that that scene, I knew it was, and that might be the, the scene that, um, more than any, makes it a hard watch for me. Uh, a lot of it does uh, when uh, Kirsty is screaming in the cabin as well and trying. That to- was my bad one. Yeah. I had to like turn my computer almost all the way like to zero, so my neighbors didn't think I was like murdering someone over here because their screams were very real. Yeah, well, apparently when they were filming this, um, the crew outside that was outside the shed while they were filming it, in particular the female, they said that it brought a lot of the female crew members to tears because it was that hard to listen to, like what, listening to this take, like you know, because they would have done multiple takes it was bad so it would have been a hard day filming and and yeah it's and she's very i mean it's a great acting performance she's she's actually been a long time actress in a a soap soap show here that's popular now um still going um so she's had a nice career after this but yeah her acting in that was amazing um just begging for her life and you know just the the I know act. This is what actors do, but you, there's certain performances that elevate a little bit above what you expect. And she's just, she just did that so perfectly. And I can understand why that would have been a fucking hard set to be on through those kind of scenes because, you know, killing like you know, killing off characters one thing, but when when you the torture scenes beforehand, um, and that killing of her, well, that scene with her, and then um, the killing of uh, Liz as well with the head on the stick thing, uh, both. If you read the stories about how Ivan Milat used to treat his victims, uh, unfortunately, very real in the sense that the, the the inspiration, it's not that Greg McLean, I'm sure he, he's read plenty of stories, but it, these ideas came from some unfortunate, very horror, horrifying and tragic cases that happened in this country. Um, you know, apparently Milat, there was some, some of his victims were found just riddled with bullet holes and they think he was just using them for target practice. The evidence was there that they didn't die straight away. A lot of them had severed spines. So again, um, you know, and vo- and this is the dark part of this this movie. That why I think it's an, a more important movie in the horror horror uh, library than some people might think. Is it does tell a very like you know I've got, I think Greg McLean in some interviews he has said he wasn't setting out to make a horror movie. He was just setting out to make a movie about this that just happens. To, it is just a horror movie because of what it is. But it, he wanted to make a real movie about this true crime, these true crimes that are committed. Um, Unfortunately, are very uh, again a part of our history. Not a lot of people, people, everyone in Australia knows the name Ivan Malak just because it's so. It's kind of like um, Ted Bundy and Ed Guy, right? And all those he's he's our version of those kind of guys, but not many people actually know the the horrors behind it. And again, it's just 
we like to a lot of Australians like to brush over our history rather than really know it. Um, but yeah, he does a, he's the horror, the violence in this movie, unfortunately is very hard to watch, but is very important in showing the dark side of this country that exists and that we need, that more people need to reckon with, I think. And again, it goes for anywhere in the world. This, these parts of society exist, unfortunately, and we, we don't like to reckon with it enough, I think. Yeah, you hope that if Scorsese is actually doing this Devil in the White City um, mm. and the White City um, adaptation that uh, and has Leo as H.H. Um, H. Holmes as the bad guy, like you hope they don't pull any punches because that book is gnarly. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, obviously just a great book overall, just the way it's written, and it really does lend itself for a script. But uh, So you hope that you do that because sugarcoating this stuff doesn't make it any better and it actually does a disservice to the victims yeah yeah because i think that's what is great about mick taylor as a character is while he's he's become quite a popular popular as a famous horror movie character and um he no they don't pull any punches about how evil he is you know there's a lot of slasher um genre uh, films and franchises that you know fans start becoming fans of these and you know I, I'm, I love Freddy Krueger he's one of my favorite like, that's probably one of my favorite franchises as far as fun fun horror movies because he's he's completely out of the realm of reality obviously his character has a dark history too but you know Mick Taylor is always you know the TV series the mo- the second movie he, you never shy away from how purely evil he is it's like you never you never root for him which is which is hard because a lot of horror movies do get into this weird way where they make the the horror the villain half a hero, which is fun for the right kind of horror movies, you know, like the anti-hero. Yeah, like <laughs> Freddy Krueger's such a caricature of himself in the later movies that it's just they just become fun popcorn movies. But you never shy away from Mick Taylor's evilness, even though he's he's got the his dialogue's great and he's got some brilliant one-liners. But that's just part of his char- that's just part of this Australianism that they're trying to show this this. Um, idea that these guys you know like this out there are not all good and you know even the guys they run into in the but i think it was actually a gas station you're talking about the the guy that's like oh i just wanted to invite your girlfriends over there they're drinking though oh well i there's a there's a i assume i thought they were they might have been we're just sitting around drinking look my like my the town i grew up in of 800 people had a had the guy that (laughs) guy that ran the deli always had a little can of beer behind behind the counter with him at 11 a.m and he was running the place um, and it, <laughs> I'm not saying that the gas station couldn't have a tap. Yeah, a tap. It, it's yeah. It, it's a gas station in the middle of nowhere. So, um, last fuel for yeah, like yeah, yeah. last fuel for 600 kilometers or something like that. The sign said so, and that's a very real thing in the middle of Australia. Is you've got to take note yeah. of take note of plan your fuel stops and all that again. So good. Hey, points to them. They did stop because that would have been even worse. But again, it didn't matter because Mick Taylor was going to fuck with their car anyway. But yeah, yeah, and, that, and going back to that, like, like there is the scene on the camera where she sees his truck, which is good. Mm-hmm. Like that was a good, good little bit of thing. But like that was kind of also like already implied. I thought. Yeah, I, I noticed um, on the rewatch that it's there a couple of times. Um, you see it in the yeah. background, so yeah. Um, but going off of like his little jokes and stuff like that, like when he's driving up to um the other woman on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that was pretty funny. That was a nice little comedic break when he does like the faces and kind of like he's like they got this like how you going? Oh look at yeah. me! Oh, and he does a little yeah. 
that is again part of his great performances. He's just the fa- the facial expressions and the eyes yeah. and the laugh and the and the smile. Um, yeah, he is great. That the moment when they're sitting around the campfire when they're in the middle of drinking their drugged water, um, you know, best water in the top end or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. Um, he when Ben is talking and he's just sitting there looking at him, kind of sideways glancing, and he's just frozen in that face. And that yeah. uncomfortable awkwardness that spreads around as he just keeps staring, and he just holds it no matter what yeah. the guy's saying. And he, Ben even tries a couple of different things, like asking a couple of different questions. He just keeps looking, and then, man, that is so menacing. It's kind of the first break from his character that he has when he's, you know, kidnapping these guys. Well, convincing him to come back to camp. He's all very affable and ah, oh, do what you want. Doesn't bother me. Like he's always going to kill him some way, one way or another. But, and that is he's like upset like he's upset when they all burp like yeah yeah he like did it on accident and then they all did it for a laugh and he's like insulted by it almost and it especially with like, the, and when they when he drops the fart as well which is yeah that scene's really funny too because that is such a such a guy thing in australia to do is just to, yeah and the girls just laughing but yeah he's just like yeah he's just like all right it's about time that you guys pass out and i I get ready to tie you up and start murdering and torturing all of you. Like he's just like, I'm, yeah. I'm done with this facade. I'm ready to ready to end this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. It's um, it's yeah, it's truly terrifying. <laughs> Watching it again last night with you know a long break in between, it was um, I really enjoyed it again. Um, I have more respect for it. Watching it last night, obviously, those few things we've talked about already, um, storytelling tropes and whatnot. I think it's still just so well made, but I think it's about time we have an intermission and uh, get back to it because I've got a few things to bring up about just how the movie it affects someone that grew up with these stories. So, and as well as just closing out, just how how much fun it was to rewatch it. Um, yeah, we'll be right back after a little intermission. <laughs> I, like your little mate said before, you know, that's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. Now, <laughs> ah, come on, come on, Lizzie, come on. Settle down, you know, that's not going to kill you, right? Yeah, i got a ball hole in my neck and I'm not whinging, am I? No. <laughs> Now, I'm going to have to do something, uh, Lizzie, uh, so is it you don't try and run out on me again, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a little trick uh, they used to use in the Vietnam War, you know, so they could take prisoners and they still get the same information out of them, but the little buggers didn't escape. You, you with me? You with me? You see what I mean? Right? Oh, no! For fucking wrecking me fucking truck, you bitch! Now, this little procedure is called making a head on a stick. Because once your spine's severed, right? Yeah, eh? Head on a stick. 
All right, I went back after our little break. Um, spent most of the time, most of our break talking about Welcome to Whoop Whoop, um, <laughs> a, movie, a movie I wasn't sure I believed existed until I looked up the Wikipedia and realized it really, really did. And Shay wasn't having like a a misremembered memory of his childhood. He really did watch this movie, and it sounds terribly amazing. So I'm probably going to watch it at some point soon. Worth a, it's worth a watch, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Share. I kind of want you to watch it, so I don't have to rewatch it. <laughs> I want like some clarity on it, because I would only watch it in parts back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Shay's always talked about the wop wop, and I've wondered like where <laughs> the he learned that term from. Because he, you were saying this to me before I ever talked about our use of the term, like whoop, like going out to the whoop whoop. And now I know why you know this term <laughs> from some yeah. obscure, terribly performed <laughs> 1997 Australian film. Yeah, and it's how I still view your culture. So it's through <laughs> it's through that lens. Having briefly, and this and then Wolf Creek did little to dissuade that notion. So oh god, yeah, yeah, that movies have really portrayed, and that's your fault. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of other movies that I'd like you to watch at some point for a show, and they they're all similarly not. There's one there's one Australian movie that's one of my favorites that's kind of kind of fun. I'll have to recommend to you off air, but um, yeah. Back to Wolf Creek, which is not welcome to Wolf Wolf. And it's a lot darker from the sounds, although this movie sounds very weird. Um, yeah. It's interesting. They could exist in the same cine universe. Yeah. They probably do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reading some of the synopsis, it it's. Scary. takes place in a crater. Yeah. So. It might, might be the Wolf Creek crater that this <laughs> incestuous town lives in. Um, Wolf Creek, uh, I'm just completely thrown off by <laughs> what movie. But Wolf Creek came out at a time. Um, I've talked to you off air, and I've mentioned it briefly on air. The amount, the amount of um, real inspiration through this movie, particularly, obviously, we talked about Ivan Milat. Um, but there was another case that happened in two thousand one, and so Ivan Milat. Well, I will start with Ivan Milat's capture and trial was when I was about five, six years old. So I remember growing up hearing this name. Like it was just, I just, I've just known this name for as long as I can remember. So, and it's become just a popular thing in Australia. Just everyone knows who Ivan Milat is, and you know, you your travels in the outback are permanent. Ever since all this stuff came out, it's always been permanently scarred by that. That you've got to be careful with these things. Is that reality out there? That you've got to be well prepared, as we've talked about already on this. That you know, reliable cars and um, plenty of water and fuel on board. Um, you know, even if even if you do, and still stop at all those gas stations that say last fuel for six hundred kilometers. You know, you should always stop and fill up, but then they have extra fuel on board in case, and you know, lots of water on board, lots of food in case you do break down and are stuck for. You need to be prepared to be stuck for days out there. Um, you know, if, if you've got the room, probably should be prepared if you need to be stuck there for weeks. You know, just have the water and food on board for those, because then then it gives the amount of time for searchers to have as much time. You just stay alive for as much time as possible if you are just stuck out there, um, because it's also recommended you don't just start walking um, without knowing where you're going, because you know snakes and all that. I know there was a case recently, a few years ago, where a guy got stuck out there and then he tried walking away and he got bit by a snake and then died from that. Whereas if he stayed with his car, he might have might have been found because they found his car and then they found I don't know. Anyway, there's a lot of lot of things that we we grow up with in Australia is just knowing how to deal with long travel and dealing with the elements of um, the remoteness of our country um, because geographically it's a very similar sized nation to the US but just the middle of it there's nothing apart from these sparse towns and open expanses and rugged outback that's quite harsh on harsh on 
the uh, the bodies of the uh, people that migrated here a few hundred years ago. We we're not skin tones aren't aren't helpful for it. So <laughs> um, it yeah. is a harsh harsh environment. But um, we yeah, growing up, we've always known who Ivan Milat was. But then in two thousand and one, there was this case. Um, it was a couple of British backpackers. Um, I think they were they'd been dating for years. And I can't remember if they were married at the time or not. Uh, but they were driving through, I think it was Western Australia, um, yeah, very remote areas. Western Australia is a huge state and lots of very, very remote areas. And they got flagged down somewhere in the middle of the night. Um, apparently it was uh, Peter Falconio and Joanne Lees is the two people in here. And um, anyone that knows anything about the story immediately recognise the names. But um, they've got flagged down by Bradley John Murdoch, um, who flagged them down on the notion that there was a there was a light out or something was wrong with their car, their camper van. And they got, uh, Peter Falconio got out of the car for Bradley John Murdoch to show him the issue. And then Joanne Lees was sitting in the front seat and heard a gunshot. And um, then she um, unfortunately got, she got tied up and thrown in the truck um, from by this Bradley John Murdoch. And while, and then he got back, got back out and um, tried and was doing something with Peter Falconio's body. And in that time, Joanne Lees, escaped somehow got out of her restraints and escaped into the the roadside bush and she said she hid for five hours while the guy was out there looking for her and then he eventually left and she luckily flagged down a passing motorist later on and um got herself back to the police and reported it. so she survived um peter falconi's body to this day has never been found uh, which is quite scary um but this case so that happened in 2001 um obviously and it became high profile immediately because the media latched onto it particularly because we'd had the previous decade of the Ivan the Lat stuff and then you know it was just going to the 2000s these kind of you know media was uh, these kind of cases do just capture the attention and particularly being international as well with um, English um, backpackers in a case like this where someone's body's disappeared and she's just coming from the outback like you know on a truck basically um, that picked her up saying that my my boyfriend's disappeared but been possibly murdered by this guy out there and Finding him was the initial issue because they didn't know they. She knew she eventually once they, but they had to use like CCTV footage from you know gas stations that they'd stopped at previously, and they I think they found about thirty six people that on footage and they had to work through those, show her footage, and they had DNA from her clothing, which was um, key to the case because then once they found him and were able to get a DNA sample from him, they matched it, and but the case. Uh, well, the movie says at the end, with this fictional, uh, the guy, Ben Mitchell, in the movie gets away. And they have an epic, like a little, you know, notes on the screen at the end of the movie saying he was a suspect initially, but due to misinformation and a, a botched case, essentially, um, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't know where the bot locations were fuzzy. Um, so the movie kind of, very much that little note mirrors what happened in this Joanne Lee's case because she didn't know the exact locations. There was... It was like the police were a bit slow in... Apparently, the police just didn't really work out the severity of the case for a few days. So, they put roadblocks in place like a day later. But by then, the guy, you know, obviously yeah. escaped the area. And and then there was a lot of um, Joanne Lee's also... Because of the weirdness of the case, she became a suspect in some of the public's eyes. Like, people right. were like, is she telling the truth? Did she have something to do with it? It was just it became this high-profile case for her in that sense and then they finally just through months of searching and going through the cctv footage i think they picked up bradley john murdoch and another he he's was getting picked up for different things through this time 
and then they finally matched him up with the case, got DNA, and then um, the case went ahead. And but the case was going ahead right when this film was released. So Wolf Creek was going at uh, the courts in Darwin in the Northern Territories where this case took place. The movie Wolf Creek couldn't actually be released immediately in the Northern Territory to to so to not risk perjuring the case. So it's a really interesting epilogue to this movie's kind of release and legacy that it was so serious in nature the film was and so much similar to what was actually happening at the time that you couldn't even release it in a in one of the states of our uh, territories of our nation because of the risk of people seeing this film well you know seeing the film and um having it influence their the jury's thoughts on the case which you know he got obviously got tried guilty and put in prison for life with 28 years non-parole when that was in 2005 so he's obviously still behind bars but um yeah it's just a fascinating and i think um greg mclean has said when writing the script because i think he first wrote it in the late 90s that this case really did kind of help hone the script for him as far as how he was telling the story as well and it's something i grew up with like the ivan Milat stuff obviously when i was a young kid but then in 2001 when this blew up i was 13 and i remember seeing this stuff like it was like those, you know, those really full frontal front page spreads that newspapers yeah. do that really hammer the case on there. It's big, big, bold writing. I remember that for days and weeks. And then every time something new in the case happened, it would be there again. And it was fascinating growing up with that in my early to middle teen years. And then seeing this film, it was like really affecting for someone that, you know, lives in this country. And at the time I was like, you know, I love Australia. And I was, again, I was like a closeted minded teenager and, it was, it's like I said, it's like a thing that I had to reckon with about what I thought about my country and what it was really about is that these people are coming, you know, tourists coming here and getting these kind of things happen. And I had to reckon with that through both this case and this movie at the same time. It was, re- it was really quite a powerful, you know, moment in my life, really. Yeah. Uh, I think once you like remember back, that it was based on a true story that's when it kind of hits you a little bit harder and you kind of like look through some of the flaws that we've discussed a little bit of it and just that like this happens to people there like that's scary i mean not exactly it doesn't happen exactly like that but a lot of times it's worse than and we've already talked about that but yeah I think like that's what kind of sold it, to, and that's kind of what makes like a good horror movie is like, hey, this could happen to you. That's why like, kind of like we were talking about like Freddy Krueger and Jason and stuff like that. It's not realistic, but yeah. and so it's not really like you, like it's not that scary. It's like watching Frankenstein or you know Dracula or whatever. But this is just a human being who's on the fringes of society, <clears throat> kind of like you said and. Yeah, and and this stuff happens, and so you just hope. So you just don't drive out to the middle of nowhere with a car that hardly works, and even though it was, you know, it was messed with, it's yeah. still, like, yeah. No, well, they immediately looked, turned around and looked at him when the car wouldn't start because it was like they they kind of were worried about the car right from the beginning, so there was that little bit of doubt in their mind. Like, they didn't even think, like, if they'd had maybe a, a brand new car or a nicer car out there that they knew that couldn't happen, maybe they'd be a little bit more suspicious right from the off. You know? Yeah. Like if you'd had, I mean, obviously their budgets wouldn't allow for a brand new, you know, I don't know, nice Range Rover or something like that. But if you'd been out there <laughs> in a nice car that doesn't have issues and um, and then you got to it and just nothing would turn over and maybe 
and maybe that's just having a little bit more experience too because he, he gets out and looks at the car under the hood and she kind of, the other girl goes, do you know what you're doing? And he's like, not really. Like, Well, what he did to the car though, like it wasn't something you could fix without, yeah. I thought. Like, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but it maybe wouldn't matter I, if he didn't, yeah, it, maybe, yeah. I don't know. I just. Oh, I guess if he saw that like something got stripped off of a part that he knew shouldn't have been and it was impossible yeah. for it to I'm be trying done. To think, I can't anything. think of what part it was and. I'm not exactly. I'm not a mechanic of any sorts either. Um, I thought it was like the wiring on some, like yeah. on something. He's mentioned something about coil. I don't know, but he. I love like he gets out of the car. And he's like, oh, it must be the battery terminals. I'm like, no, it's not that. <laughs> Straight away, I was like, yeah, you, you idiot. You, know, <laughs> you guys are done. Um, and it's not not a it's not a knock on his character. He's he seems like a nice young bloke. That's just you know he's just living life. Pretty happy go lucky sur- surfer guy um, helping out a couple of backpackers that he's become friends with and is falling in love with them. One of them probably from the looks. So you know, and again, like we said in the first half, that's part of the tragedy of how this film unfolds and part of the power of it as well is that it is so real, as you said, with such characters that we can kind of empathise with as, as even if it's not the type of people we are, we we know people like them. Uh, we know people that travel and have that free spirit period of their lives where they just go travel and um, meet people and and don't uh, worry about, you know, and people do jump into cars. Like, I mean, I, I went to a road trip to a festival here in 2006 when I was 18 and then a van that a friend friends of mine bought for the trip. And it was, it, that thing struggled to get through the trip. We were a little bit worried at times, but it got through it. But you know, we weren't going into the middle of Australia as long as it was a coaster. We're out to a town south of Melbourne for a music festival. Um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those, you, you do just have that period of life. You do things like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you can, on the outside, we look at the, some of the decisions in the film. And I think we talked about it off air and we can talk about it now about the, I was frustrated watching it last night. I know you mentioned the same thing. When they have the chat, that's they, just my biggest complaint with horror movies yeah. in general. Is I get just get frustrated. And it's it like, is shoot a, him in the head. Like don't, yeah, like don't. Yeah. Like why does the old guy have to get her a blanket? It's just like God damn it. Like all, <laughs> like all, you know. I mean that is something people do when they like the old guy's just found this girl. Like he doesn't know what's happened to her. To be right, fair. no, she so, should have been like fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of like the end of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the lady. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, well, we can talk about that that scene in a second because I did I love the sound design and everything about when the old guy is picking her up. But we get to, the thing that we both mentioned off air before we started, as we were just having a chat beforehand, was um, it's a horror movie trope that happens a lot that you'll find yourself. I think I was watching something the other night. I can't remember what I sent a snap to you about some movie I was watching saying stab the fuck do it. Again. I can't remember, but. You have this moment in Wolf Creek where she sh- they shoot she shoots Mick with the bolt action, and um and she's shaking like before she even um you know shoots him like I'm worried that she's going to shoot her friend instead for you know a little bit there because how hard she's shaking, uh but she shoots him and it looks like a decent kill. There's a bit of blood there. It's he's grabbing the side of his neck, so you're already thinking you know and obviously that's not, yeah and obviously yeah. it's early enough in the movie if you know movies like this he's coming back, but um. He pay passes out because it is. It was a genuine, genuinely uh, wounding shot. It wasn't like a yeah, shot in the neck. Yeah, he's losing a bit of blood there. So, uh, um, you know, and then she she does try. She does shakily try to cock the rifle again and shoot him again. And she tries it a couple more times and it doesn't work. 
has a couple of whacks at his back with the butt of the rifle, which always always go for the head. Um, yeah, you know, Avengers fans out there will know that they should go for the head. <laughs> um, it's uh, so, and then she just goes to saving her friend. We both had this. We both agreed that we wished she just grabbed the fucking knife. Or the, and you mentioned the handgun that he's got there because he does use a handgun. There's, he comes out of this building a few minutes later with a double barrel shotgun as well. So there's guns around. You do just sit there and go, if you guys had just done this or this or this, you could have. He was incapacitated for a moment that you had free will to make it as sure as possible that he was dead. Because I'm always watching these horror movies and going dismember that I, I you know it's it's kind, right. of, it's kind of ironic that you're sitting there trying to save the save the innocent people by saying you should do exactly what they would do to you and dismember them to make sure of their death but you just sit there thinking do something like that bowie knife through the back of the neck or something like that just to just to make sure of it and then and then you've got then you don't even have to worry about leaving you can you've got a bit of time there to find a car or whatever and be a bit more calm about it but I'll deal with your friend and like because like that really hurt him too is that the friend was like like probably concussed and fucked up and can't like couldn't like you know he, mm. like that really hurt him when she had to go back to camp is that the the other girl couldn't go with Liz yeah it's like if there was two of them like I don't know yeah someone keeping a lookout or something like that yeah I don't, like dick around with like all the stuff she was doing and stuff like that I don't mm. know it just yeah yeah. I did offer the just, defense. Like, I just get frustrated with those movies. They like make me anxious. I guess. Yeah. It is. <laughs> this movie isn't a good. But movie. a lot of movies do. It is. A, it is a good movie or not a good movie um, for anxiety because it does. It is just such a tension field, and that's what the movie does really well. Is it's just the sense of dread and foreboding that is constantly there. Um, even at the start of the film, um, has a happy start. There's a party. The even the Eagle Rock, which I messaged you last night, saying is a very classic Australian song that. Whenever it comes on in bars, all the guys drop their pants and dance. Um, super weird thing. Um, I've definitely seen. I've definitely have definitely witnessed both the Hardings do it. Um, <laughs> um, so it's, uh, so that song. They're bad for the soul. <laughs> um, so that song is you know is such a happy Australian song, uh, very popular here. Everyone knows it. Um, so that's you know the credits rolling with that song playing, and then. You've got your party and the beach, and everything's quite tranquil at the start, in a way. But there is that. The, this uh, then they start road tripping in the outback, and there's some brilliant cinematography, just showing the vast open expanses as they're driving along. But the sense of foreboding does very much does creep in quite quickly once they get into the into uh, well when they go to that gas station slash bar, um, and th they get you know there's that little bit with a well when the guy is threatening them and trying to trying to antagonize them is kind of shows you that the, the guys like mick taylor out there don't exist they, he's not alone it's just he's taking it to the next step of yeah they probably know that guy yeah yeah and there's just there's people like that all over this country dotted around that even if they're not killing the tourists or or hurting them physically in any way they're certainly mentally just you know being very unwelcoming to them um even to a guy that's australian as well like he was he's well, he's from the city so he's a, he might as well be not from, from there yeah, yeah he might as well be from another country so yeah it's um the sense of dread builds very quickly and then yeah obviously the anxiety that comes in once they actually start being physically hunted and they know they're being hunted at that point uh but yeah i did offer the defense off air about the the reality of that situation where she should she should have ended it then and there but i did offer the defense that you know 
who knows where it, the the mental torture of that moment for her having just woken up in a trailer tied up when the last memory she has was sitting you know telling ben to move the esky away from the fire um, right yeah like i can just i don't i always get frustrated with those moments but i try to see it from the character's point of view and i'm like look they should they they certainly should have and i'm sure the writer director greg mclean would say the same thing he's like yeah if they sh- what you should do and what you do do in a movie is two different things because the realities of situations are never just black and white and you know she's her friends tied up there she doesn't know how hurt she is she's just gone in there and shot this guy right. he's on the ground unconscious and she's probably thinking she probably is thinking oh i need to make sure of this because she does try to but then she also then goes oh i need to help my friend and it's kind of like so many things going yeah. on at the time so it's not i am frustrated by it as a person that's sitting there watching a movie full of anxiety wanting these guys to survive even though i know i've watched it i I was watching it last night so fucking anxious trying to think of ways to help them even though i know what's happening in the movie because yeah the movie doesn't change it's not a choose your own adventure black mirror um movie it's uh it is what it is so i was it's a great movie that's a sign of a great movie is that i'm watching it re-watching it years later and still feeling the same dread and anxiety and hoping hoping for a different outcome even though i know what's coming yeah. Or something else they could have done, like that. I thought, like when he goes down to inspect, like the the truck mm-hmm. that they push over the edge, just like pushes over the edge, pushes over the edge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's probably in park, but no, he took could... the keys. But you could still do it. Yeah, well, it, the keys don't need to. An older truck, especially, I don't know what newer ones have with their fan dangled fucking safety features, but. An older truck, you don't need keys in it to put your foot on the clutch and take it out of gear and take the handbrake off. That stuff, right? That stuff Especially, is, yeah, because it was like on. Well, the lights were on, but yeah, yeah, the lights were on. But yeah, I think it was still on. You would honestly, it was just in park. Yeah, all all the old trucks I grew up driving, you'd you'd be you could fuck around with the gears and and handbrake without the without keys. So yeah, you'd be think, able to, you'd be able to push that thing off the edge pretty easily. Yeah, and maybe it hits him. him when he's down there. You know, yeah. who knows? But. Either. And even so, you buy yourself some time. But then I guess yeah. they couldn't move too quickly either. I don't know. She was, in, she, you know, the girl that had been a bit more tortured at the time was a bit incapacitated. So maybe that, I, I don't know, maybe they were just trying to hope that he, it's again, it's, we, they should, they, that is a legitimate point. Because then in the dark, with his, he had his rifle with him, but being that it was dark, right. he wasn't going to be able to sight them in the in the distance. So he, they would have had the t- cover of darkness to move away. Even with their, him hunting them, he wouldn't have been able to see them um, as well. I'd assume because it seemed like pretty dark. But you know, movie lighting sometimes betrays how what the actual darkness yeah. realistically would have been. Once in the middle of the wop wop. Like... Yeah, but I think they would have been able to buy themselves some time if they had pushed that car off the edge and yeah, his definitely. his as well. I and then I watch it thinking, fuck, should they really have? They tried that, you know, pushing the car off the edge, hoping he'd believe that they went to their death. But then straight away, he's going down to check, and they're like, "Well, we'll go back and get another car." Which smart, um, but but just splitting up was stupid. Yeah. And, yeah. One of the scariest parts that we have in your entire like that I thought was the scariest part um, was just when Ben is doing the video log at first when he's doing the gas and he's like there's no sign of intelligent light you know mm-hmm. that thing and the gas station attendant just like appears yeah. in the shot just like smiling like a freak <laughs> like, it just said like i don't know yeah. like it wasn't a jump scare but it's like oh shit this is like this doesn't feel right it feels yeah. like it felt like it's like almost like a twilight zone or like one of those old 
1950 yeah where like yeah. something like invasion of the body snatchers or something like that like the dude just like didn't like the look he gives to the camera mm-hmm. it's like it's not human almost it's yeah. like he doesn't he can't understand what ben's doing at all mm-hmm. and he's just kind of like he's there interesting, I, interesting bit part though because then he comes in later on he's in inside when when uh ben's uh, having the confrontation with the gut with the uh the skanky bogues um yeah and uh and you know he's he's kind of just cleaning glass and he just looks over and he's just just for the lack of a bit i can't think of what the character's name is he's like greg stop being a dickhead like so yeah yeah it's very much you do see that kind of stuff in and you have gas station attendants like that that are nice blokes they're just they're kind of they are just they're still hardened in a different way in the outback they're just maybe socially awkward as he seemed to be he seemed like he seemed like he was just coming out to help but it was kind of awkward moment with the video camera and all. no it just something felt nefarious about it like, i just, just certainly i think that was an intention too was just like a little yeah bit, the dynamic between the guy the city slicker having video having a sarcastic little video moment and then this guy who is part of the life that is out there um as he's saying yeah. there's no sign of intelligent life out there just pops out i think it is meant to give you a sense of whether it's, you know, whether the guys, certainly the gas station attendant, I assume, is they're very, very innocent from all the things going on out, out there. Um, maybe. But maybe they all know that Mick, you know, like, well, the TV, if he was it's, there. it's interesting. The TV series does, like, a lot of this, um, particularly in the second series, there's a couple of indigenous guys that um, try to help out. And they say they know of this, you know, white devil kind of ghost thing that there's a lot of bad things that happen out here we know about this guy but we don't and he's kind of like taken on this mythological nature to the people in the area um so yeah it's it's hard to know like you know stories in the outback are interesting there's like people know things that go on and sometimes it's just a turn a blind eye kind of thing again like you know brushing over history as i've talked about earlier in the pod about you know australia you know, people just like to turn the other way, turn the, you know, turn a blind eye to things that aren't affecting them. Well, they may, even if they aren't affecting them, if they can deal with it and move on and they still turn a blind eye, it's, it's an interesting, a lot of things in the movie that make you think about how people deal with the, the culture they're living within. It's definitely a small town thing here as well. It's like they don't, the people don't, like they say they stay out of everybody else's business, but they also know exactly everything that's going on in the town. That's yeah. why like when I go cover sports in these small towns, they'd be like, who the hell is this guy? Like, good, good. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. I get the, you know, the, the, I, the notion, like it's not a notion. It's just fact that people in the, in the middle of nowhere, like protect their communities because they lack trust because they, they think that's the only thing keeping them safe. Like they don't, they think that the, they don't have any perspective of what the world is. Hmm. Now, Mick, on the other hand, is like a psychopath serial killer who has been to Vietnam and stuff. So I think he's, I mean, we can say all we want to about xenophobia and stuff. He's also just a straight up insane serial killer yeah, <laughs> in the middle yeah, of the yeah. who, yeah, isn't, yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's just killing people because he, uh loves native australia yeah he's, it's he's, certainly part of it but yeah he does enjoy it as well and that's that's part of yeah. unfortunately that dark side of humanity that there is whether it's a um you know even the second one of the tv series has a couple like there's it's a tourist bus and there's people from different parts of the world and there's one of them's a psychologist and they're 
they're trying to work they, they talk about the you know genetic and then there's another person that's a geneticist i think so they there's it's obviously characters built to it's exactly to have a discussion about genetics um within serial killers and whatnot and what makes a serial killer and all that kind of stuff so the the, the further further um additions to the wolf creek saga have been interesting in um diving into kind of the psychology and and other things behind it and the character of mick as well but then just um the evilness as well the innate evilness in all of it is is quite interesting um i know again i said i know you're probably not going to go search realistic yeah, yeah it is it's um yeah the they they don't. I think the first movie is the, is for certainly the most powerful, and that's the kind of the case with most movies and sagas and whatever. Supposed to be horror, yeah, yeah, because you, you you it's your first meeting of of an evil of an evil character, nature, ghost, whatever saga you're watching. It's um the first time is always the most scary because you don't know what you're getting into. Um, you don't know you you start getting getting a sense for the tropes of the character, which the series and the movies do a good job of changing it up here and there. But it is still just Mick. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I, it's been fun to revisit for me over the last last week or so. Getting and watching the TV series and the movie, and having not touched Wolf Creek for a while, even though I've yeah loved it for a long time. But yeah, it's interesting watching the yeah. uh, the alcohols in the, in the. I messaged you last night. Um, yeah, in the pool scene, he's drinking like Johnny Walker and cola in a can. And I completely forgot. This. Yeah. Those cans were white. That was like, and that's a very two thousand and five thing because that was when I was seventeen and I drank a lot of cans of white Johnny Walker. <laughs> I was like watching yeah. a thing and fuck, yeah, that's good. Some good nostalgia in that movie as well. Um, yeah, I also found out, and I didn't realize. I don't know if I realized this until last night, or maybe it had come up in my in previous years, and I completely forgotten about it. But you know, the credits are rolling, and I'm looking at the names, um, and well down the list is the actress Teresa Palmer, who's been in a few American movies. Warm Bodies is a big one. Um, she was the main girl in that. She was one of the pool party girls. Nice. <laughs> Apparently, seven, nice. seventeen at the time, getting one of because she's from Adelaide, she's getting one of her first acting jobs. Um, and I went back and watched it. And I was like, oh yeah, there she is. It just flashes a couple of times. She's in the pool and she's out of the pool, and that's it. But I was. Just, <laughs> yeah, her, one of her first roles and um, obviously gone on to have a much... Uh, John Jarrett's had a great career, but the other three haven't... One of them's in a soap opera here, but for as far as going on to big international stardom, you know, Teresa Palmer was... You know, she was in Hacksaw Ridge as um, the yeah. wife and, you know, Warm Bodies is a quite successful, fun movie. I really enjoyed that one as well. So she's gone on to have better career than any of the other people at that party, but she didn't have a line and was barely... You know, you have to know who you're looking for to actually see her there, but interesting start for a career yeah the main actor wasn't great he's all right though he played the affable young aussie blake there's a few lines that he says that i'm like oh it's a bit exaggerated but again i've known people like that too so i can't say it's exactly unrealistic either um but yeah and also the scene where he's like where he actually like Feel like we might have had a quick. You might want to go. Yeah. Over, might want to go over that again. It just froze. Okay. Right when uh, yeah. Whether the sun was going up or down, but when he like actually gets away, mm-hmm. but he's like looking at like the vast expanse in front of him, like you can't see any road or anything, and he just like yells, like scream, or like kind of just like yells out in anguish, like or like anger, and mm. like 
what the fuck am I gonna do? Like that's where he, like, and the fact that he survives is pretty sur- like surprising. Yeah. Honestly, I thought like I definitely thought he was just gonna like I didn't think um, Mick was gonna catch him. I just thought he was gonna die in the middle of nowhere, yeah. or that Mick was gonna catch him. So the ending was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. But and then like the fact that they thought like that he killed the girls too. Mm-hmm. I thought was interesting and it was definitely shot in the like li- like mid 2000s way of like just that that shot was so like mid 2000s yeah. i can't like, it, was a, it was really the early days of people shooting on high definition digital cameras like because it was shot on you know it was a one million dollar budget or something like that um which i think is quite the movie that was produced on that budget with a first-time director and you know lower budget equipment I think it's uh, really well, like a lot of great, like a lot of it's done with uh, handheld, which you can notice at times, but a lot of it's actually quite well done because it doesn't do too much of the shaky camera thing. Like it's, you can tell it's handheld, but it focuses pretty well on the action and moves between it. And then you, then you've got a lot of static shots of the driving and whatnot and uh, vast expanse shots. So we're, we're done with, I assume tripods and whatever. And so for the budget and the early days of um, the digital camera, kind of when, when filmmakers were starting to get a bit more freedom with budgets, because you know, filmmaking pre-2000 was an expensive business because you had to have film and big cameras and it was quite exclusive to people that had the budgets. And so first-time director in 2005 being able to make a film like that, I think is an early sign as to, you know, the change in, change in the industry we've seen since then and, and that was happening in that time as well, which is, yeah, you de- I, I do know what you mean. Though. I know I watched the Blu-ray last night and it holds up really well. It's a really good transfer onto high definition disc but you do just notice those uh, when you've watched a lot of movies you just do notice the time frame of when it was made based on how it looks so but it does look very good um in the yeah you can get it in blu-ray quality or you know in hd quality it's um it definitely holds up as far as the the look and um you know harsh nature of the film it reminded me a lot of, of a lot of foreign films that weren't made by like big studios in foreign um, like especially like South South America and Mexico and stuff, just mm-hmm. because like the lighting isn't perfect, like it is like, and that makes it feel like more. The lighting is just different, I guess. Mm-hmm. Even on the outdoor shots, um, it's just different than American film and a lot of some of the other bigger um, box offices and stuff like that or studios, whatever. Um, but yeah, so it reminded me of that, and it made it made it, it did make it feel more gritty. Maybe they had access to lights and wanted to do it that way. But mm-hmm. for some reason, like, yeah, it just or maybe it's even just the landscape because obviously South America and Australia aren't that different in places like the Wop Wop. So, <laughs> <laughs> the Wop Wop. Welcome to Wop Wop. Um, it was another note that I found that I found quite interesting, and it'd be interesting to see what your uh, take on it is because I think it did help the film. Um, apparently, while they were filming um, the scenes when it's raining, um, when they go to the Wolf Creek Crater, uh, where they were filming a lot of that stuff, it hadn't rained in like, I think, six years, they said, or something like that, in that area. Like, rainfall in the middle of Australia is obviously quite... Yeah. yeah. It's quite rare. And then it rained for three days straight when they got out there, which they said both added a sense of foreboding just to the set, which probably you know filtered into the film quite well and then also men they had to rework the script a little bit as far as just we've got to film in the rain and which and and it worked really well and i do think it um thinking back on watching the film i think that rain as they're sitting in the car wait and when they realize the car's you know cactus and they've got to wait and it did add a like i don't know what it would have been like it was just sun drenched um 
harshness. It, I assume if they'd done the you know filmmakers being doing what they were doing, they would have made it work and it would have had the same effect. But I do, I do like that it, that rain just added a sense of weirdness to the whole goings on, and then especially reading how rare it is up there. Um, obviously I've heard stories about farmers in the years gone by that you know get their first rain in three years or whatever, and have a little kids are out you know there's always newspaper stories over here of the kids kids that are like five years old and have just seen rain for the first time and stuff like that yeah um but it did add a weird sense and then you know there's the watch stopping thing that happened in there and they're having their like conspiracy theories because they've been telling stories of the aliens out there and stuff like that which is that was a good added yeah it's all just stuff that adds to the weirdness and the the alien i mean the outback here is used in a lot of a lot of movies do come and shoot out here when they're doing mars movies and whatnot because it is just such a weird landscape and that and it can you know be used for that purpose and that all that stuff going on in the movie with the rain um you know which wasn't expected but they worked into the film and then the just the the stories about aliens it just added this this sense of otherworldliness to the goings-on that really just kind of just wrapped up the film nicely and how it how it how it lingers in your memory of um, how real it is, but also how alien the outback of Australia is to even Australians. Yeah, and then like they're getting freaked out about like aliens, but what they're actually like freaked out is the unknown. And that yeah. guy is, and Mick is the unknown. So I mean, that's what like every you know when people say they're like scared of things that go creak in the night, they're not actually like afraid of like, you know, a real monster. They're afraid of like people that will like murder them in their yeah. sleep. Like, so yeah, it, it was, it, yeah. Yeah. The buildup was really good. Um, definitely tense. Yeah. Even him. Like I said, I just like could have done a little bit more character buildup just like, but it's a horror movie. Like you said earlier, yeah. so you don't, Totally need it. Yeah, and like, I think, I think like, what they I think what they did added enough char- like humanness to the characters that we weren't we did. It was saddening, and we did care when they were you know we wanted them to get away. Whereas you know some horror movies you kind of waiting for the body count to start because that's what you're watching it for. But then this entire movie you kind of you, you know what you're in for, but then you're not wanting any of them to die, and it's and that's success in horror movies to actually make you care about the outcome of the characters, I guess in that sense um particularly in such a gruesome what is a gruesome horror movie one that got i think it came out in the time of um you know people talking about torture porn as a genre, as a subgenre of horror um and i think this one got some somewhat unfairly lumped in with it just because it was that similar real gritty style of violence rather than the other horror movie style of violence um even you know the first saw movie gets unfairly lumped in with it because that movie is actually a really good self-contained thriller more than anything um it's the rest of the saw movies that kind of went into that more um out there style stylish violence and gore and whatnot which you know again there's a place for it for the horror fans but yeah this movie i think is um yeah it got unfairly lumped in with that and you know it's it depends how you look at it some people do look at those movies and say no i want to watch them because there's a different different feel there's a different feeling these kind of movies emote in you and I've talked about with you before different art forms and how movies make you feel. And it's not like I like to feel this kind of dread and uneasiness about the realistic nature of the world, but I also do because it makes me think about it and it makes me respect the world more and not respect, obviously, those elements of the world, but respect the world more and be make myself realize that, I've, you know, you've always got to be more worldly to make sure you understand the elements that exist in the world. And yeah, I find this kind of movie even if it's not one I can rewatch easily. Same with the movies like The Strangers, which I think I've talked to you about before. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that movie, but I find it hard rewatch as well because, again, that's a movie that's very grounded in reality of just three killers attacking a house and when they, you know, they, there's no reason, rhyme or reason behind it. It's just they were home that night and they decided to, right. to, to yeah. you know, mentally and physically torture these people that are home. And, you know, I can watch I can watch Nightmare on the Street over and over again, but The Strangers and Wolf Creek and movies like this that I love for different reasons in the same genre, I find it very hard to watch them too often because it does bring out some of the deeper seated fears inside of you about the unknown elements of the world. Just like you said, the bumps that go in the night, these, these kind of movies really bring that to the bubbling to the surface of your own fears. And it's something that I like to experience here and there, like with movies like Wolf Creek and the strangers, but I do bounce myself back to movies like nightmare on the street and, and whatnot more because they're the easier ones. Um, I love the full horror genre. I'm a, you know, you know me, I love horror, but um, these movies, even for me, are like I said, hard to watch too often. Yeah, I definitely can't do them too much. I mean, <laughs> I can handle them. I, it's just not something that I would totally, uh, you know, it's not something I would seek out a lot, like that feeling, I yeah. guess. I like more like, not to say that this isn't witty or anything, but I am more like, you know, bantery, sarcastic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mick Taylor has a bit of that. Yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> He he loves his banter, um, right up until he's put making you a head on a stick, so you have to listen to it. Yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah. I I have to say, as um, I've said it before, um, as I start to wrap it up, um, I was wondering how I'd be. Like I suggested it to you before I actually rewatched it this week. I was just starting to watch a TV TV series, and I've just been thinking about it because I was just trying to think of a. I'm not going to throw curveballs at you too often. It'll be rare, but I was just, I was just thinking <laughs> yeah. about this week. I was like, what's one that I know that we can actually talk about? And I think we'll be able to, you know, get a podcast out of. And I thought this movie was one that does, you know, it does get, there's a lot of history behind it as well, as far as Australia. And, and certainly, you know, as, as you've mentioned on the podcast as well, it's not limited to Australia. It's very much an experience around the world, particularly with nations like ours that are founded upon some um, colonialism and some dark, dark, violent histories that, are very much um unfortunately a part of our part of that's part of the um the blood that flows through the nation so yeah i'm glad you came along for this ride with me shay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna let shay have the reins again this week so that um get back into it i don't want the reins we'll figure something we'll out, figure though. something out we'll go we'll have a bit more we'll collaborate a bit more again <laughs> we just, couple of wild card weeks with magnolia last week was really fun for me too because it made me watch a movie that's been long on my list and I who knows how long it would have remained on my list if I hadn't been actually just you know prodded to finally watch it, and I'm very glad I did because that's instantly going to my my hall of fame of movies that I really respect. And um, yeah, and similarly this week, I think you I think you said this week when I mentioned Wolf Creek to you that you you hadn't heard of it, and I was like, well, we'll just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't honestly. Yeah, um, and it, it is one that it did get it certainly got worldwide release and is popular in the horror horror genre. Like I'm in mean, the podcast I listened to the other day with an interview with the director Greg McLean. Um, he was on an early episode of the Shockwaves podcast, which is an American podcast with you know it, uh, produced by Blumhouse, which is the very obviously famous, right. famous big production house, and now with both horror movies and other other genre pictures. So um, there's certainly one that's well respected in the horror horror genre, but one that I think if you like I said earlier, it's not one that I'd recommend everyone go and watch if you do have, you know, it, it's hard watch for both with the violence and just the mental dread of it. But if you if you like horror and you haven't seen it, then you certainly should. And if you, 
if you can handle tough watch movies that that um, will make you think about things and dark, you know, history and and real life, you know, true crime stories as well, it's definitely one worth definitely worth a watch. I think it's a brilliantly made film. Both it's well, it looks good. It's, it looks like a really great film, and 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 the story is unfortunately quite quite powerful and and, and nerve nerve shredding <laughs> is the best way to put right. it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. If you like horror movies, I'd definitely give it a go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I raised my pint to it. I, I'm glad that Shay came along for the ride, and we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're both. I've got a pint of Coke, and you've got a pint of iced tea. <laughs> I'll have I'll have beers while I'm editing the pod to stay on brand, though, which is what I usually do. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Until next time, we'll uh, roll some film, pour some pints, and pop some corn. I got that backwards again. I'm gonna have to write that down next time. But yeah, until yeah. next time, and ne- until next time, <laughs> Shay, we'll be watching some movies. Nothing like a podcast from the top end. (laughs)